you've got a copy of God's Word, turn with me to Galatians 5. We're going to pick up at verse 2. As you turn there, let me remind you there should be a ballot somewhere in the seat next around you. Um, these brothers have been examined. As an, and one of our elders here can affirm these brothers. They have been examined and now... As a congregational-led government, we put them before you, so please mark them as a slate and just put them in the offering plate later uh, at the end of the service. And so, Galatians 5. Appreciate Micah preaching and giving me the weekend off. Christine was, I was, was, was uh, able to get away for a day or so, and it was nice. And I enjoyed listening to it online. We have turned a corner here, and we are concerned about freedom. What does it look like to live in freedom? What does it look like to first believe and receive that freedom? And what are some barriers? This is what we're going to talk about today. What are some barriers to that freedom? So we need, as we get ready to stand to our feet, to hear Paul the Apostle put on his apostolic hat. Remember? He, he leaned in as a father and concerned a couple weeks ago. And now he's speaking again as an apostle. So we need to hear this authority and this passion and even righteous indignation as he speaks about those who are putting up barriers in the way of the Galatians. And so stand with me. Galatians 5, we're going to begin at verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith. Working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than the one, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Lord, as we lift this time up to you, we acknowledge our weakness and our distractions and the hardness of our weeks and the confusion not only in our lives but oftentimes in our relationships and those uncertainty things that are always on us, Lord, we bring them to the table now and we lay them out and say, Lord, we want to understand your word. We want to understand clearly, Lord. What are some barriers that are stopping me in my spiritual tracks? And Lord, we want to be free from them. Because we want to glorify you in our actual life and we want nothing to stand in this way. So help us, Lord, apply this to our life. Help us to understand the truth of it so that we might be free. Free to make much of you. Free to live for you. Free to glorify you. Free to proclaim you 
Until you come, Lord, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You could be seated. As I said, Micah ended last week, Galatians 5.1. It says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He's been saying this for a while now. The whole letter. You're children of the promise, so don't submit to this slavery. Why? Because you're not a slave. You're a son. So live like a son. This freedom looks like something. It is both objective and subjective. It is objective because it is technical. It is legal. When we speak of our righteousness being forensic, that's what we're saying. It is a legal declaration of righteousness. It is objective. Romans 8.1 said there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we're also free subjectively. That means we're freed experientially in our day-to-day life. How? Romans 6 tells us that before we were saved, we were slaves of sin. We were slaves in our very nature. We did not desire to do what's right. We desired to do what we wanted to do, and we had no power over it. We simply chose what we wanted to choose, sin. But when the Holy Spirit came through the proclamation of the gospel, we were set free. That is, the Holy Spirit indwells us, changes our desire, and the war now begins as we begin to experience in our actual life sanctification, power over sin. Because He has set us free, now He tells us in verse 1, stand in that. But brothers and sisters, we... What I want us to do this morning is put on our gospel filter and never take it off. For you can't. You can't just get in the car and put your brain in neutral. Because someone will slide a false message right through it. And so let's remember 1 Corinthians 15. This is our growth group lesson. I hope you're in a growth group. Because we're going to work this out in 1 Corinthians 15 even more clearly. But I want you to begin here and I want to end here. Because this is the very core of the gospel. I want you to see how important Paul is saying it is to the, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians. He says, verse 1, Now I would remind you, brothers, let's first listen, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3, the gospel. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Brothers and sisters, if that is not the center of what you are listening to, of what you are studying, of those that speak what we call truth into our life, if that's not the center of it, it is not the Gospel. Paul looks at the, in the text in, back in Galatians now, His life is a marathon, not a sprint. And he's concerned that something has stopped the Galatians in their tracks. A barrier. What was it? It was false teachers bringing a false message. And he's going to get very specific. He's been general up to this point. And so, the question I want to ask us this morning is what what false message am I listening to? What false messages am I listening to that are either keeping me in bondage or stopping me in my spiritual tracks? So let's do, if you've got 1 Corinthians still open, let's do the 1 Corinthians test on the song we just got through singing. 
I'm putting Micah on the on the on the stand here. Because he wrote he was part him and Chad was a part of writing this song. So let's let's just test it. It's what you need to do. <laughs> All music. Before I do this, I, re- I was raised in the 80s, the late 70s. Remember, they used to play songs around backwards, try to find them evil messages and everything. You remember that? I'm not doing that. I'm not trying to raise and, and teach to be theological Nazis. But I'm also, I want you to put on your gospel framework and your gospel filter and what we listen to. So here's the song we just got through singing. Think about the gospel now. The curse of sin and death, every man enslaved, broken and in need of grace. Lift your eyes and see, Jesus Christ our King, come behold our liberty. We have been set free, O come and sing this song of our salvation. Christ has overcome, the cross has won, His blood has bought our freedom. Behold the grace of God at the cross displayed, the spotless Lamb of God in our place. Now the slave rejoiced through His blood outpoured, He has bought our liberty. For freedom Christ has set us free. Now we stand redeemed, no longer bound by sin and slavery. So I ask you, did that pass the 1 Corinthians 15 test? It did. But now you see we're fixing to leave here in just a minute. We're going to get in the car. And Christian songs are going to come on the radio. It might sound like this. It's hard to stand on shifting sand. It's hard to shine in the shadow of the night. You can't be free if you don't reach for help. Here it is. Listen. You can't love if you don't love yourself. There it is. Brothers and sisters, that's a message that if you drink that Kool-Aid, you will keep yourself in bondage. The problem is not that we need to love ourselves more. I love myself too much. It is my biggest problem. Freedom does not come from gazing into a mirror. It comes from looking at a bloody cross. Because there and there alone can we see perfect love. And if we do not look to Christ, we cannot see it. We cannot fight it. And it will always elude us. This is what I have to point people to. The gospel. This is where they may see, feel, and experience. And then live in that love. So you see, we got to be careful. we got to have our gospel filter on. And this is what Paul is saying that we... As Christ's followers must not tolerate a false gospel. We must not tolerate false messages. And so in verse 2, he says, look, I, Paul, say to you. So remember, he's acting like an apostle. He's putting on his apostle hat now. And he says, if you. So what is he doing? He's giving Galatian church an apostolic warning. It's just serious. There are consequences of submitting to a false gospel. And so he lays these out. I want you to just see three. First, verse 2 says this. Look, I, Paul, say to you, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. See what he's doing? He's not talking general now. He's getting specific. He's saying circumcision, that's the core issue. That's the core message of this false gospel, this false message that they're believing. If you accept it, there's going to be a consequence to it. What is it? It says Christ will be of no advantage to you. Well, what does he mean? Why would Christ not be an advantage to you? Well, he tells you in verse 3. He says, I testify again to every man who ever accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You know, he's been hitting this pretty hard. Galatians 3.10, he says the same thing. If you want to be justified, declared righteous by what you do, then you're going to have to keep the whole law perfectly. 
Remember, the whole law demands perfect obedience, yet perfect obedience is impossible for man. So therefore, we end up under a curse. It's just what he's saying. So if you add on a circumcision, the God, Christ, no advantage to you. Why? Because now you have to keep the whole law. And what does this end up? Verse 4. You are severed from Christ. That's what's going to end up happening. It's because you have removed yourself from grace. Now you have to keep the whole law. You're going to end up being severed from Christ. You would who be justified by the law. You see that word justified right there? That is speaking forensically. If you seek to be declared righteous by what you do, you're going to end up separated from God. Two verbs here. Severed, have fallen. And I'm not going to push it as hard as Paul's pushing it. But he carries this picture of circumcision through the whole thought. It's this picture of cutting off. He says, if you buy into this, that you have, as Gentiles have to cut off your flesh to be declared righteous, it will end up being cut off. You will, from Christ. It's a circumcision picture through the whole message here. He goes on to say, third, you've fallen, you have fallen from grace if you buy into this. You have fallen from grace. You see, Christ and grace are inseparable. And, and if you add to grace, you lose Christ. If you reject Christ, you will never experience grace. This is what he's saying. These things, if you add to it, you lose it. It is by grace alone. So this is what's at stake. Do you see it? It is they will remove themselves from the only thing given among men whereby we might be saved, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ and that alone. That's what's at stake. Christ and their salvation. But it's, he's not being hopeless here. Look at verse 5 and 6. There's hope in the true gospel. It says, for, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. You see the word wait for right there? That's looking forward. Been worried about this word. You ever have a word you can't say? You worry about it all the time. If I say that, I'm going to mess that word up. This is, a, this is, a, this is my word. Eschatological. In other words, it's, it's looking towards the consummation of all things. This is what waiting for. This is what this hope. It's looking forward to the time when God will judge the living and the dead. It says, but we, we eagerly wait. For the hope of righteousness. I just want you to see three realities. That both begin and end by the Spirit. We're going to talk about this for the next couple weeks. Number one, true believers live Spirit-led lives. It's the reality of believing in the true gospel. You could say it's the consequence of living in the true gospel. We will live Spirit-led lives. But not today I want you to see the second one, verse 5. True believers have a firm, certain hope of a final declaration. Righteous. See, here's the truth. God has declared us righteous. He has covered us with the righteousness of His Son. And He is, through the power of, of the Holy Spirit in our actual lives, making us righteous. That's our sanctification. But the fact is that we still do what? Sin. We still sin. We are covered by His righteousness. And we sin less, but we still sin. Here's what He's saying. 
to those who put their faith in Christ alone, have a sure and certain hope that one day Christ will say, Righteous! Why? Because He will make us righteous. He will glorify us. At the last trumpet, the dead in Christ will be raised and we will join with Him. And we will be glorified and we will be righteous. You see, our hope doesn't lie in ourselves. I cannot help anyone walk by faith by telling you to think more of you. I can only point you to Christ because this is what it looks like. And listen, this is what's at stake to believe in a false message. Galatians 5, and 23 is at stake. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. But against false teaching leans in and affects and can stop the fruit of the Spirit in its tracks when we believe it. So this is about, in the verse 6, faith working through love. This is what a life in the Spirit looks like. It looks like a life lived in faith that looks like the fruit of the Spirit bleeding out in our actual life. And so, Paul has a love for God here. A love for the Gospel. A love for the church. And a love for people's souls. That's why he's calling circumcision out on the carpet. And this is important for me to put attention here. Because... We have to talk about the teachers. Because the message do not, does not come without a what? A messenger. If there is false teaching, someone's delivering it to you. Someone's speaking it. And so I want to give attention to myself. And I just want to lay out here a, an easy target. Joel Olstein. He's a pretty easy target because of his gospelist message. If you don't believe it, just listen to it and try to find the gospel somewhere in there. It's not there. There's a lot of true principles given to people who have never experienced repentance. It is dangerous. And I say, don't follow Him. I have to. But listen, at the same time I say that, I say that even when I say that, I must say it from faith working through love. Because you know what the preacher can do? He can stand up on a bully pulpit and crucify someone just to stroke his own ego. And we must not do that. But listen, we must protect the church. We must uphold the gospel. And that's why, make no mistake, Christ's followers must not tolerate a false teacher. We must not tolerate the false messenger that brings us the message. We must reject it and him. This is sobering, but it's true. The God of all the universe will not cast sin into hell, He will cast the sinner into hell. And so we need to take heed of those who bring a false message. He said, you were running well, verse 7. Who hindered you? You see the focus, who? Who hindered you? Not what. He's already dealt with what. Now he's saying who? Someone brought it. You were running well. You started passionate. You were walking with Christ and something stopped you in your spiritual tracks. Who brought it to you? You see, running the race is not just about believing truth. It's about obeying truth. Listen to this. John Stott. His creed is expressed by his conduct. His conduct is derived from his creed. You see that? How we live comes from what we believe. 
And what we believe informs how we live. Here's the point. The false teacher bringing the false message will affect one by affecting the other. By messing with what you believe, they mess with what, how you live. And he says, who's hindered you? You started well. In other words, he, he, look at verse 8. He wants to know, he wants them to identify the origin of the false teacher. And he goes this from the negative. He said, it's not from God. Look at verse 8. The persuasion is not from him who calls you. Now he's referring back to something he's already said in the letter, Galatians 1.6. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who calls you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So now do you see what he's doing? He's, he's identifying the person. He says, you need to identify the person who brought you the different gospel. He says, how do we, how do you identify the false teacher? He's inconsistent with the call of God in your life. Because now they're telling you to add something to Christ. And it doesn't bear witness with the true gospel. So how do we, how do we know false teaching is coming? You've got to understand the gospel. You've got to understand the truth. You've got to understand the original so that you can see the counterfeit. More than importantly, you've got to understand the nature and the character of God. Because when you do, you will see through their man-made, self-centered ideology. He said, it's inconsistent with God. It's inconsistent with the gospel that you had already received. Therefore, reject Him. Reject the message. Reject the person. Yes, He's telling them to pass judgment on the false teacher. He absolutely is. And He is because of the effect. The origin is not from God. The effect of the false teacher is hindering. You see it in verse 7? Who hindered you? That's our word. That's the effect of believing a false message. In other words, we can lose the ability to apply truth to our life and experience freedom. John 6, 28. People ask Jesus, what must we do to do the works of God? You know, tell me what I need to do. Verse, John 6, verse 29 says, Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. You want to do the work of God? Believe that I am the Messiah. But John doesn't stop. stop. He wrote 1 John. Assumed you read John, the Gospel. Now in 1 John 3.23, he ties in something here. It says, and This is the commandment. That we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He commanded us. You see, faith is the root, obedience is the fruit. And if we, we ponder false messages, it can affect both. And it will. They hinder. And they hinder right believing and right living. And they do it, look at verse 10, by hindering you individually. This is your individual life. Look at verse 10. I have confidence in the Lord. You will take no other view. Look at the last part of the verse. And the one who is troubling you. You see that word troubling you? That means they are disturbing you in your mind. They are making you anxious. That's what that means. These false teachers have brought a message that has stopped them in their tracks. It's messed up their thinking. It's put anxiety on them, not freedom to them. What false messages are stopping you? 
What false messages are stopping you in your tracks right now? Can I give you one that I have experienced and that I have seen many people experience? Here's the false message. You can't forgive others until you forgive yourself. Sometimes it sounds like this. I just can't obey this call from God that's put on my life because I can't forgive myself for past failures. Can I ask you something? Where is the biblical text to support that message? That we must forgive ourselves before we can forgive others. That we must forgive ourselves before we can obey what the Lord's told us to do. That is a lie that will stop you in your spiritual tracks. And it can stop you for years. Saying, I can't obey because I just can't forgive myself. What is the implication there? That we can somehow add to what Christ has done. As Christ's gift of forgiveness is not sufficient. If Christ says you are forgiven, you are forgiven. There is nothing that you can add to it. So what's the truth? It could be that we don't understand the depths of that sin. If we actually think that we need to forgive ourselves, we don't understand how heinous our sin is. One sin can plunge the whole human race into slavery of sin. One sin. One sin is cosmic treason against the holy God. One sin. This needs to bring us where the law brought us. To a point of brokenness. To almost hopelessness. Where we cast ourselves at the cross. At the only one who sits on the throne. Because listen brothers and sisters. That lie tells me I sit on the throne. And I do not sit on the throne. There is only one who sits on the throne. Who can forgive sin. And his name is Jesus Christ. And so don't believe it. You may not be able to grasp. This amazing forgiveness. And you may not be able to receive this amazing forgiveness. But it is not because we need to forgive ourselves. It is because we need to have faith to receive. He offers it. Brothers and sisters, that will set you free. Christ is all sufficient. And he is sufficient enough to forgive us. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, we can be hindered individually. And that hindering doesn't stay individual. Look at verse 9. Can also, it also hinders us collectively. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. It's that old proverb of yeast. Don't have to do anything. Just stick a little yeast in there and put that dough over there and it's going to rise all by itself. It spreads. This has always been a picture of sin and evil and wickedness. That if you put it in, you don't have to do anything. This is the influence. 1 Corinthians 5, 6. You don't have to go there. But Paul uses this same terminology to what happens when we allow sin in the church. When you allow immorality to go unchecked within the church, it spreads like a cancer. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so it is. Listen to me. What you listen to when you're going through down the car, in the car, to school, or what you listen to in your reclining chair affects us. As much as a private sin, if you are looking at pornography, if you're stepping out on your spouse, it, all, it just doesn't affect you. It affects your, your family, and it affects your church family. It's the same way about false believing. 
It affects the whole lump. So he, he gets us, he hinders us individually. He hinders us collectively. And he, he unsettles us. Look at verse 12. I wish those who unsettle you. What's that word unsettle mean? It means to incite revolt. To cause a rebellion. That's what they're doing. <laughs> In the church, they're, they're, they're majoring on minors. Remove the gospel. Cause all these pointless questions. You ever had a conversation, been trying to make headway in someone spiritually, and they always bring up peripheral issues. They don't want to get to the cross. They don't want to deal with their own sin. They want to ask this. This is what they're doing. They're causing questions. They're causing a preoccupation with something that is anti-gospel. <laughs> and here's what he says. He says, these guys are so preoccupied with circumcision. I wish they would just take it all the way. That's what he says. I wish those who would settle you would emasculate themselves. That's what it means. It means cut off. Is he angry? You bet he is. This is righteous indignation when people come against the gospel and people try to hurt God's church. When people try to affect. You see, this is a, can affect you two ways this morning. It, can, it affects people when someone fills up a stadium and, and calls people Christian because they obey principles when they have never repented of their sins. It costs people. It hinders them from coming to the gospel. And it hinders people from walking in holiness when we buy into a false message. He says, don't forget the cost. This is why he's angry. It's because the cost of those who believe it is severing. Verse 4. And so the cost to them must be cutting them off. They must be removed. Because the end... Their origin is not from God. Their effect is hindering. But their end is judgment. Look at the end of verse 10. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. He's simply restating what he's already said. Galatians 1, verse 8. Do you remember what he said? I want to look back there. But even we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a, contrary, a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Verse 9, as we said, we have said before, so now I'll say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. That means, let him be damned. And now what he's doing is putting his finger on the person he's talking about. He's saying, these Judaizers that are preaching circumcision, that are causing people, could potentially cause you to fall away, Prove that you never were a believer or stump you in your spiritual growth. They need to be cut off because make no mistake, one day in God's judgment they will be. They love the law, they will be judged by it and they would have to keep it perfectly and they will be found lacking. So don't follow them. So what today? Look at verse 11. This just really, it's just convicted me. So what is Paul saying here? Listen, look at verse 11. But if, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. So here's probably what the Judaizers were saying. Paul really agrees with this circumcision. He's even preached at a time. He's just being a little hypocritical. He's got spiritual amnesia. He, 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 really, he really agrees with us. Here's what Paul's saying. All I have to do 
to remove this persecution is keep my mouth shut. And if I agreed with you, why am I still being persecuted? If I agreed with you, I would just be quiet. I'd be on your side. So here's the question. Who do I identify with more today? The persecuted or the persecutor? Do my actions prove, my actions, my objective daily reality prove that I desire the cross to not offend other people? Have I bought into this that it's okay to believe that I don't evangelize because, because of the fear of rejection? Because you know what that's saying? I don't evangelize because of the fear of persecution. And if that's the case, who am I identifying with more? The persecuted or the persecutor? Paul saying, I can just keep my mouth shut. But you know what I'd be? Proved? I'd be, I'd be on their side. The insanity of God. Nick Ripkin said it so well. I'm just going to quote him. Convicting. Quote, When we share Christ with others, we identify with the persecuted church. When we keep Christ to ourselves, we identify with the persecutors. Continuing. What that means is that for most believers, persecution is completely avoidable. So if our goal is reducing persecution, the task is easily achieved. First, just leave Jesus alone. <laughs> Second, if you happen to find Him, just keep Him to yourself. Persecution stops immediately where there is no faith and where there is no witness. Paul is saying... My persecution hadn't stopped, and I will not be silent. I will stand up. 1 Corinthians 3 4 will be the center of our individual lives and our collective ministries. Jesus Christ and Him crucified, ruling, reigning, resurrected, coming again. This is our message, this is our center, and we must keep it because here's another thing I'm afraid of this morning, even in this message. That we could throw up our hands and say, well, this world is just going to hell in a handbasket. Haven't we all said that at some point in time? Seems like I say it more the older I get. Maybe I've seen more. But brothers, this is my point is, it's easy to get hopeless. And it's easy to get cynical. So let's ask ourselves a question. Do I, do I really believe the gospel will ultimately triumph? Because if my believing affects my living, what's the implication of my believing that the gospel will ultimately triumph? Will not that open my mouth? Will not that give me courage? Will that not strengthen my faith? You see, Paul is not hopeless with the Galatians, and I don't want you to take away this morning that Paul's wiping his hands, he's done with them. He's not. Look at verse 10. I have confidence in the Lord that you'll take no other view. I am confident. Paul said, I'm confident you're going to identify with Christ and you're going to reject these. Why? Because he thinks so much of them? No, because he trusts in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the way he's trusting in it. That's his confidence. So turn with me. It's on the screen. Just look at it. Matthew 24, 14. Brothers and sisters, I don't know how to function in my life through the heart of the life and through what God has called us to do other than to trust His promises. 
He's God. He doesn't change. He doesn't lie when He says something. It's His Word. Every one of us have broken our Word and will. God never has. So what does He say? Matthew 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom, listen, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. What's the promises? What can I trust? The gospel will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. Isn't that a promise? Here's the question. Are you going to be a part of it or not? Don't think for a second that you can stop God's plan. You're not. But God's got a plan, and I don't know about you. I want to be a part of it. I want to be where He is. I want to speak for Him. I don't want to be silent and side with those who persecute my Jesus. We must raise our voice because, listen, this is another promise. The end will come. It will. Where is our hope? It's not in ourselves. It's not in our president. It's not in our democracy. It's in our King Jesus and His theocracy because it will come. And He is ruling and reigning. His kingdom will come perfectly. And this is my confidence for us today. It's the same as Paul. Philippians 1.6 says this, And I am sure of this, that He who began the good work in you We'll bring a completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, that is a promise and a confidence that we can stand on this morning. So Lord, we stand on your promises. We stand in faith of a work that has been done for us. It is finished. It's been accomplished. We don't have to work to achieve it. We simply have to bow before your sovereignty and receive it. So, Lord, I pray for us today. Because it is absolutely possible for us to be a Christian today and yet be stuck in bondage to things that you have been set free from. So, God, help us. Oh, Lord, as us men have been gathering together on Saturday and praying, Lord, revive us. Lord, don't let me cover up my sin. And shame your name. Don't let my brothers hide their sin because we don't live in like a family as we should, Lord. Bring us together. We, have, we are a family and you, you have adopted us all. God, if there's some who are not walking in the freedom of forgiveness, Lord, that the power of your spirit would you set them free so that they might open their mouth and bring glory to you Lord is this not what we all desire freedom you have set us free may we not be silent may we not live in the bondage of things that you have already paid for through the blood of your son I pray for freedom today. I pray for freedom for those that are not here. And yet they're here because they're on our heart. Broken. Lord, would you set them free with the power of the gospel? Would you use us?
thank you, Lord, that you not only adopt us, but you give us the great privilege to be part of your sovereign economy and workings in this world. And so, Lord, we say, here we are. Send us. Free us, Lord, so that you might send us. Pray. In the only name given to men, whereby we might be saved and set free in His name is Jesus. Stand with us and sing. Thank you.